We live inside a dream. Life is a highway. I want to ride it, well, all night long. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Stan and Dave Need Wedding Dates with your two favorite wimps who like Kubrick and Lynch. My name is Eric Keppel. And my name is Jeremy Schmidt. Possibly our best intro yet, Eric. It's a pretty good one, right? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> all I had to do was steal a lyric from a popular song. <laughs> yeah. I just a picture us like getting in a Cadillac, putting on a pair of sunglasses and running from the police. That's... That's yes. sort of the vibe of uh, this film. Yeah, this this film definitely has a vibe. We'll we'll talk about it uh, real quick before we have a very exciting guest uh, coming up in a second here. Before before we get into that uh, and Lost Highway, real quick, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Uh, we're doing weekly bonus episodes over there. You can sign up for one dollar right now with our pa- pandemic special, uh, <laughs> which is uh, it's only going to be around while the pa- pandemic lasts, folks. So uh, yeah, j- jump in on it. jump in on it. We got uh, there's like a whole back catalog of bonus episodes you can check out. We're doing a, a whole series on Tales from the Crypt. We're doing a series on '90s comedy films. It's a great time over there. We're taking oh, yeah. taking requests. Uh, we did a weird musical. What was that called? The the best whorehouse in Texas. The best little whorehouse in Texas. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was a great time. But y- you know what? We don't got to talk about that right now. No, Jeremy, that's the fun stuff. We got to get down to business <laughs> here, Eric. Yeah. 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 We got to talk about what the hell uh, what the hell this thing is about. And uh, <laughs> we have a special guest with us. Uh, this is Michael Hearn. Hey, Hello, Michael. Thank- Hello, thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, so I'll give Michael a little introduction here. I've known uh, I've known Mr. Hearn for a number of years. He's a mainstay on my other podcast, Video Games a Comedy Show, which, you know, is a podcast about video games, but over the course of knowing Michael Hearn, I've realized that he's also a film lover and makes his own films, so a bit of a filmmaker here in LA. Uh, Hearn, why don't you give us a little insight into your your life, non-video game related? Non-video game wise. All right, so I just bought uh, on Switch Rayman... Le- oh, wait, sorry. No, <laughs> Great. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, came from Philadelphia and I went to Temple University for filmmaking, moved out here, uh, did some random like PA jobs and since just kind of started becoming a a filmmaker of my own means just to sort of work on my own work. Um, For the last couple of years, I've been doing that, especially with a lot of people in the comedy scene, UCB and stuff. And um, yeah, a friend of the podcast, not this podcast, but a friend, Michael Stevens, is in a couple of my projects, the latest one I released on my website, which I'll plug for sure, um, is called Away With Words. And that one's a very like kind of silent moody piece that i like it was being a little experimental with and it's really fun um michael stevens is a great choice for it for a couple reasons i won't spoil but it was a lot of fun to do and um yeah just like as far as like film influence goes um i wanted to do especially a podcast about a david lynch film because 
uh, Blue Velvet is like the film I credit myself and of getting myself in the film with. Um, oh, I, really? Okay. Yes. Oh, I wish we I wish we'd have had you on the Blue Velvet episode. Honestly, I would have thought that too. I'm actually more excited <laughs> about Lost Highway. I think it's almost kind of wrote what I would have said about Blue Ray Blue Velvet. I love that film and it's meaningful to me for a lot of reasons. Lost Highway has like a whole lot of different meanings to me and have changed as of rewatching it too. So I'm excited to get into it. Um, but Ma- Michael, I got a yeah. question for you. I, this is something I like to ask this to, to David Lynch fans because it's, yeah. it's it's always people always have different answers. What was the first David Lynch movie you saw, and what was the first David Lynch movie you saw that made you realize that you like David Lynch? I mean, the answer might just be Blue Velvet to both, but I okay. I can honestly say like Blue Velvet is like the film I rented it when I was like fifteen, and I was like, whoa, this is filmmaking. This really changed my mind on a lot of things and really inspired me to get more into it. Um, but I guess what like made me aware of David Lynch as like a brand, I think, would have been Eraserhead, where I'm like, okay, it's not just this one-off shot into the universe m- m- mystery like that, of, that came out of nowhere. It's like this is someone being very intentional with his work and trying to create like a specific like voice, and it's really arresting and different. Um, and yeah, I think... Those two were pretty early for me. I think, oddly enough, uh, Lost Highway is a later one I got into. So, and it's actually kind of cool to re-listen to your guys' podcast and hear it chronologically because I think I came to Lost Highway as like a much later, just knowing about David Lynch as opposed to where this is in his career, which is kind of in the middle and kind of an interesting yeah. crossing of the styles that he's known for. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I, Blue Velvet, you know, my I, we have the same answer to those those questions. Blue Velvet was the first one that I saw, and it's it's the first movie that I was like, "Damn, David Lynch! I I have to watch more of his stuff." In Lost Highway, I watched like it was probably like the third David Lynch movie I saw, and uh, it was the first one I watched where I was like, "Man, I like don't know what I just I don't know what that was," but I I think I liked it. I was like seventeen at the time. Um, now I love this movie, but, but at, at the time I was like, damn, I feel stupid <laughs> uh, <laughs> after having watched that. Cause I, it, it went over my head, but, uh, Jeremy, what's your, uh, what, what's your take on Lost Highway? Do you have a, you've seen this movie before I take yeah. it. This, this is actually, I'm, I'm different than you guys. I, my first David Lynch film was Mulholland Drive and then Lost Highway was actually my second David Lynch film. Uh, because you know, I, Mulholland Drive came out and that was, you know, it was before I was in high school, but I remember being in high school, people were talking about it like it was going out of style. They, It's like everyone kind of, I felt like discovered it maybe around the DVD release of it or something in like 2004 or something. Because like people were like uh, talking about Mulholland Drive. Oh my gosh, you got to see this movie. It's so weird. There's a guy that pops out from around a corner and then I uh, I discovered this. And of course, you know, then you go on the deep dive and you're like, well, what else has this guy made? And the next thing I found was Lost Highway. So I pirated it off of Kazaa and watched yeah. uh, <laughs> and watched Lost Highway. And I still to this day think that Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive make a great double feature. I think that there's a lot of similarities between these two films and kind of where David Lynch is at it in his career. But a uh, new, newer take on Lost Highway is I actually think... 
I still think this makes a good double feature with Mulholland Drive, but I think it actually makes a better triple feature with Wild at Heart, Fire Walk with Me, and then Lost Highway being the last one. And I would call this uh, David Lynch's heavy metal trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's yeah, very- it's uh, you know, this this movie, the one, the the thing that I, I always every time I watch this movie, I'm like, damn, I always forget about this one. Like mm-hmm. when I talk about David Lynch, because this is really like it's it's fucking beautiful. It's it's such a good movie, and one thing that I noticed in this recent rewatch is like, I mean, for for like the just insane like star-studded cast like we get like henry rollins yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like we get like all these crazy cameos dude and i stuff, can't and wait to talk about the cameos yeah. they are bonkers. almost none of them occur uh, n- almost none of these actors show up in any other david lynch projects no it's interesting to and, me. and none of them matter at all like none of <laughs> them are playing like parts that have any bearing on the plot like uh, to give you an example henry rollins gary Busey, richard pryor and marilyn manson are all in this film together and they almost do nothing <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah even jack nance is in it oh well yeah a- jack nance of course it's Which his final, final uh, role. Final oh. We got to yeah. have a, sa- a, a send-off here, Eric. You got to do a sound effect, like a send-off sound effect. There is a fish in the percolator. You know, every time you, you, you always like bring up the sound effects, and I actually end, usually end up <laughs> adding something in. There is a fish <laughs> in the percolator. There yeah, there is a fish in the percolator. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, oh, you man. just use Michael Hearn saying that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just cut out his audio <laughs> of him saying that and just put it like fifty seconds earlier. Yeah, that'd be um, very confusing. Yeah. So I, 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 I gather we're probably going to have a lot to talk about with this movie. So let's dive in uh, and feel free to chime in if you know any sort of like trivia or uh, anything related to the production. But this was uh, obviously directed by David Lynch, co-written by Lynch and Barry Gifford. Uh, Barry Gifford wrote. Um, the Sailor and Lula books, which uh, Wild at Heart is based on. Yeah. Also, I think before, like right before this, Lynch and Gifford worked together on his, uh, I think it's called The Apartment or something. Do you know about this? The Apartment uh, series. Or On the Air. Is that what it is? Apartment, David Lynch. Hmm. Uh, I've never seen it before. Yeah, I was reading um, about some weird David Lynch projects around this time, too, one of which was called On the Air. Have you heard of that? <laughs> I heard no. of On the Air. That was also um, Mark Frost, right? Yeah, it, it was a... Uh, I guess it was a television show. It was supposed to be a comedy? Is that, I mean... <laughs> I, I don't know much about it. I've never... I was surprised to hear about it. I've been reading that David Lynch interviews book, and they were talking a lot about it. And uh, it confused the heck out of me. Um, my favorite uh, thing when I when I read Room to Dream, my favorite uh, I can't remember what it was called. It had the word bovine in it. I think it's called like Dream of the Bovine. Mm. Was this project that David Lynch was like pitching around that he pitched it as like it's two guys who are cows, but they're not aware of it. <laughs> I've been <laughs> afraid of that. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, uh, they 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 collaborated a little bit before this. Uh, Lynch came across the phrase "lost highway" in Night People, which is one of Barry Gifford's books. 
because Lynch knew Gifford very well uh, and had adapted Wild at Heart, he told the writer he loved it uh, as a title, and the two agreed to write a screenplay together. So this movie basically started with sort of like the title and uh, this very odd thing that happens to that happened to David Lynch, where someone, I guess, similar to in the beginning of this film, someone on his like intercom at his house said Dick Laurent is dead. I don't know if they used that name, but they said like a name and then is dead. And then when he looked outside, there was no one there. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would suck if that happened to you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, I gather that this is like Lynch kind of, it like started with like a vibe almost, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I feel like he had this like vibe in mind, like the lost highway. Um, and it went from there. Uh, it stars Bill Pullman, Patricia Arquette, Belthazar Getty, Robert Blake, uh, a lot more people uh, mm-hmm. than that will show up. But, uh, let's see here. It's, Lynch uh, describes oh, the good, film go. as a, uh, a psychogenic fugue rather than a conventionally logical story. Go ahead, Jeremy. Oh, no, 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 no. I love this. I love where this is going. Yeah. Are you going to talk about the what that means? Um, yeah. So, well, yeah, I, I can t- real, yeah, yeah, I can, I uh, can narrative talk. structure has been uh, likened to a Mobius. Stri- well, there's a Mobius strip. Is that a, is that a comic? I don't know. No, Mobius. that's like, that's like if you it's like a never ending uh infinity sign basically where like the it's almost like uh you know that painting where Ian Forster where like the guys are walking on a stairway that never stops basically? Yes. It's uh, basically yeah. that. The Mobius strip is basically like it's tied into each other at the end, so it just keeps going forever. That makes uh, sense. Which yeah. with this film narratively kind of the idea is it starts how it ends and there's like inner poet like the way the sort of sequencing is it's almost questionable how things are connected um i think that's what they're going for when they say it's a mobius strip yep yeah that makes total sense um yeah uh i would say i would have to say maybe my favorite uh soundtrack from a david lynch film oh, david bonkers. yeah marilyn manson <laughs> ramstein nine inch nails smashing pumpkins uh, uh, definitely not my favorite, but it is wild as shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very yeah. idiosyncratic David Lynch like soundtrack too. Um, just a lot of choices that don't make sense. There is one soundtrack choice I want to save until we get to it. That is mm-hmm. like my favorite needle drop in a David Lynch film. And yeah, I think, I, I think I'm gonna. I, yeah, I think I'm gonna. I think I know what you're talking about, and I definitely agree I with you. I have a, I have a theory as well. Yeah, <laughs> I'm um, excited to hear but, that. So, Eric, you, wait, real quick, back to the psychogenic fugue state, uh, real quick. <laughs> what, do Do you know what that means, or did anyone? Did you look up what that what that phrasing means? Yeah. So let's uh, hold on a second here. I, it means no, like a person who, out of like a a mental illness, basically drops everything in their life completely turns their back on their life and assumes a new identity is sort of like the idea behind that. Um, okay. And, and uh fugue being one of the words in that, in that phrasing David Lynch particularly liked because it had a musical quality to it. Like a fugue is like a musical term and this mm. movie is about basically jazz. So 
like David Lynch really felt in simpatico with that with that phrasing and, and liked it and and they and they put that out on press releases when they would send it out. So like it, it basically does not describe the film at all. So you get this press this press sheet that just says psychogenic fugue and then you watch that movie and it's like, wow, okay. Uh, I yeah. guess it does have a hidden meaning in there, but it is it is also very non-descriptive of what you end up watching on the screen, except for maybe right. just thematically, you know, the changing of identities or whatever. I think its tagline was Psychogenic Feud. Like, it was just Lost Highway and then Psychogenic Feud. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Um, so uh, Lynch, uh, Lynch has said uh, in an interview that... that the story was a little bit inspired by the O.J. Simpson uh, trial. Um, I have also heard an interview with Barry Gifford where he they asked him about O.J. Simpson's influence on the script, and he said that there wasn't any. <laughs> on his end, so I don't know if this was just David Lynch just being a weirdo. But well, he says he's subconsciously inspired by the O.J. Simpson Subcon- trial. Okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I think it, it was going on at the time, and he just sort of was like considering maybe prison and, and getting the chair and stuff like that was sort of like themes he was thinking about, but he, he yes. kind of admitted that l- way later on. Um, and I don't know if this is their first time collaborating. I think it might be, but this is uh, a, a cinematographer, Peter Deming mm-hmm. uh, worked on this film uh, and Deming went on to do uh, Mulholland drive. Uh, and also I think all of the return. Um, oh, which really? You will wow. see is very, very good looking. But uh, yeah, he also did uh, cinematography for uh, Austin Powers, International <laughs> Man of Mystery, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Scream 3, and Evil Dead 2. So, Oh, man. Evil Dead 2. Very underrated Evil Dead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I watched that movie under the influence of... Uh, psychedelic when oh. I was a young man and it uh, was maybe like the craziest uh, visual experience of my life um, let's see here Robert Loja was the first and only choice to play the character of Mr. Eddie because of his former desire to play Frank Booth in Blue Velvet I can't picture anyone else playing Frank Booth to be honest with you yeah no I mean I'm I'm kind of glad these two are cast where they are because Robert yeah, Loja is also a, a favorite of mine, but I mean, I there's no way would I ever recast Frank Booth. Like Dennis Hopper is the no. king; he he owns that role in a way that's uh, unprecedented. It's <laughs> it's also funny that story of him. Like I'm I'm reading this off of IMDb, but that story that like in 1985 Loja showed up for an audition to the set of Blue Velvet, unaware that. Dennis Hopper had already been cast and proceeded to wait for three hours, <laughs> growing and increasingly agitated. Upon seeing Lynch and learning of Hopper's casting, Loja proceeded to give him an extremely profane and angry rant to Lynch for making him wait, only to remind him that the role had already been cast, which remained in Lynch's head for nearly 10 years as what would eventually <laughs> become Mr. Eddie's road rage scene. <laughs> <laughs> Man. See, that sounds like something Kubrick would have done, but like wouldn't have acknowledged it. He would have done it on purpose or some shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Okay. So, do you guys have any like production trivia or anything you want to get out of the way before we dive into the plot? Uh, Mm. Nothing until like the film is talked about. There's like one thing that I he talked about that I want to bring up when it comes to it, but otherwise, no. 
Okay. Okay. There's one more thing I wanted to mention. Uh, in true Siskel and Ebert fashion, uh, Ebert did not like the film, gave it a thumbs mm-hmm. down. But also Siskel didn't like it, which is weird because Gene Siskel usually stuck up for David Lynch in there whenever they would like review his film. For example, Blue Velvet, Siskel really liked, Ebert really hated. But this time they gave it two thumbs down. And uh, David Lynch's response to that was uh, two more reasons to see Lost Highway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, all right, so one day Fred Madison, uh, Los, a- Los Angeles saxophonist, receives a message on the intercom of, of his house, Dick Laurent is dead. Uh, so what, I, I'm trying to remember like what the very first uh, shot we see is. Is it him smoking? Yeah, yes. I think it's just Bill Pullman smoking. Yeah. Okay. Which, oh, um, before we get too far into it, I, might, I, I just want to add in here, uh, this was such... I was so pleased to see that this was such an easy film to get a hold of. It's just streaming on Hulu right now. So you can go watch it for, if you have a Hulu subscription, you can just go watch it. It was one of the easiest David Lynch films to get a hold of, which is so ironic because growing up, this is one of the hardest ones you could get a hold of. Like, it was a hard, so hard to find a DVD copy or a VHS copy of Lost Highway. You either had to pirate it or you were kind of screwed for a, a long time. But now it's readily available. Uh, and and Dune is hard to find. <laughs> yeah, I was looking for a Blu-ray. I couldn't find a good Blu-ray online. Uh, I, I wonder if this will come to the Criterion. I mean, if they put Fire Walk with me on there, wh- I, I think this will be soon. Yeah. Uh, David Lynch has gone on record as saying like the Blu-ray is not up to his expectations. Like It's not built off of the negative. It's built off of a DVD that he isn't happy with. So I think... Oh. He's, yeah, I think maybe it's overdue, sort of like how Eraserhead was for a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think this movie needs, like, just, like, a, a total, like, uh, I, just, like, a re-release, just, like, a whole, like, new appreciation. Like, like right before the return, they kind of did They kind of did this whole big re- uh, Blu-ray release with uh, Fire Walk With Me, and everyone was pumped about it. I think they need to do that with... with this movie because it's great but, yeah this uh, this film needs a facelift because i i'll tell you this i did stream it and it was not an hd like it, it hasn't uh, i don't think it has seen hd yet so um yeah it, it looked it looked okay to me but it's like so dark you know right, what i mean that it yeah. was like hard it was kind of hard to tell yeah especially this opening shot which is kind of sucks because it's the first thing you see it, it almost looks out of focus uh yeah fred madison smoking yeah so we're in this house, and it's this house in real life was owned by David Lynch, and he actually designed it apparently, um, which is interesting to me. I don't know like when if he designed it with the idea to like shoot things in it uh, in mind, but it is like it's it works very well uh, in the in this story, I think. Uh, so the next morning, uh, his wife Renee finds a VHS tape on their porch containing a video of their house. Uh, any thoughts on this? I think it's pretty it's pretty terrifying. Oh yeah, what I mean, if you found a VHS tape anywhere at all these days, I'd be terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I just go to the Goodwill and I scream in horror yeah. at the VHS collection. <laughs> Did you say you go to the Goodwill and you just scream? Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I I was kind of like I saw this after I saw the Michael Haneke movie Cache. Wait, say that again. This, you know the Michael Haneke movie, Cache? Oh. Hmm. Like, it has a similar idea at the very start, and kind of both kind of a, not abandon the idea, but it kind of becomes very second fiddle to what else is going on. 
where they find a tape and it's of their front door and it's the idea of like some creepers watching them uh and that one was more about class and this one i think is a lot more like they're already in an unhappy relationship and now there's this weird intrusion going on So you're saying ca- cachet has the same type of uh, vibe. It's just that they're about two different things. Uh, the reverse. It's uh, They're about the same thing at the start, and they're very different in what they do with it, where it all starts with a mysterious tape of, mm. a, of their front door, literally, just to sort of give them mm. the idea they're being watched. Awesome. What they do to, what that does to their psyche. Yeah, I mean, Eric, I don't know. Do you like to be watched? I know that, but <laughs> me, I'm I have a hard time with it. Yeah. Um <laughs> no, I'm always just like hoping to be watched like everywhere I go. Right. It's got my uh got my blinds open at all all hours of the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um so yeah, uh, I guess also this Wikipedia synopsis kind of skips over. We basically see like this guy who is apparently like a saxophone superstar <laughs> uh, <laughs> ask, asking his wife if she wants to come to one of his shows, and she's just like, "No, I'd rather read a book." Yeah, that's me asking my girlfriend if she wants to come to my improv shows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's just funny that she's like doesn't even have an excuse she's just like no i just would rather read a book do you think did that uh, seems did that scene seem almost um improvised a little bit to you where like you know she kind of laughs like like when uh, bill pullman asks her again he's like read she like patricia arquette laughs and they kind of <laughs> joke around about it for a minute like it kind of led me down a false sense of security with their relationship where i was like maybe they are a good couple <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know um I can't. I can't remember. Uh, I think I was. I was kind of paying attention to something else or something. But uh, after uh, having sex, Fred sees Renee's face as the that of a pale old man. Then tells her he had a dream about someone resembling her being attacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, as the days pass. Yeah, I mean, so this is after he does the concert, and then they come home, and when they have sex, like I, we should, we got to mention that, like he can't like perform. That's the whole point of that scene. Like, yeah, she taps him on the back and is just telling him it's okay over and over. And he has like a kind of a fucking nightmare scenario where he's like, you know, like really like struggling with, with making love. Um, and, and the only reason I wanted to stop and mention that is because I think that is the whole point of this movie. <laughs> like, like that is like, that starts us on our journey and where we go. The, only this article will tell us but um hern did you did you kind of get the same sense that like this was like the maybe the inciting action yeah i mean it's always kind of a uh, big theme of the film is about some degree of possession some degree of sexual virility sets comes up a lot in this film especially set scenes and whether or not like you're being desired and vice versa mm-hmm. uh and yeah even uh, just sort of the shot of this one, like it's a very unnatural feeling, like slow. Uh, the soundtrack sounds very dour while they're having sets, and it's like all right, this is a very making a very intentful point. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Cool. Uh, so as the days pass, more tapes arrive, showing shots of them asleep in their bed. Uh, Fred and Renee call the police, but the detectives offer no assistance. <laughs> 
these detectives uh, are great. David Lynch, yeah, man, fun. he loves his detectives. I think they're very funny because they're constantly trying to solve everything logically, and obviously from the characters we're identifying with the most, there was nothing logical going on. So <laughs> I they right. almost they almost feel like him taking down his credits, being like, You guys are trying to figure out this logically, Sistel and Ebert. And then instead, of, they're like bumbling around almost. Oh, interesting! Like yeah, they, they are critics. Point. I love that. I love that read. Um, yeah, and then um, he, I, I I like the whole bit about like the the home security system. <laughs> where he's <laughs> like, "Well, you better uh, you should probably turn that back on." <laughs> right. Fred also yeah. says like a pretty key line yeah. here yes. that I think yep. that yeah. So does anyone know it verbatim? Because I I I know it's something to the effect of, I don't. I like to remember things the way I remember them. And then they're like, what do you mean? And he's like, not the way they happened, the way that I remember them. Something like that, right? Yeah, I think you, yeah, I think you got it close enough. That's pretty yeah. much pretty much the gist of, you know, and that's I think that's why I didn't get this movie like the first and maybe even like the second time I watched it was uh, I missed that line or like wasn't paying attention to it. Uh, uh, it is kind of fun. It, like, it, it's so crazy to just have like one single like little line right up there at the beginning where there's all this, you're kind of taking in all this information and this, uh, the whole kind of like vibe of this very weird and dark movie. And there's just this one line in there that if you miss it, you're fucked. <laughs> you don't know what's <laughs> going on. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Did you guys understand, like, the first time you guys saw this movie, did you come away from it, like, understanding anything at all, or were you as, or were you confused? I'll let her answer. <laughs> no, I was confused. I even didn't really like Lost Highway the first time I saw it, and it kind of took me, like, time and reflection and knowing Lynch a little more after the fact and rewatching it um, to really appreciate it. And this last rewatch, like, I especially loved it. But, yeah, I think early on, it wasn't even that I was, like, confused about, like, what happens, quote-unquote. It's more like, what was that about? What was the point? And maybe it was just a lot of stuff I hadn't seen done before in films or wasn't looking for in films. And now I kind of, like, appreciate a lot more, especially, like, maybe older has to do with it, too. Like, I saw it in high school, and n- now I'm a grown-ass man watching it, and I'm like, all right, I get all these, all this masculine <laughs> going on. Yeah. I get, I get why Bill Pullman's so sad all the time. Yeah. I, I would say this. I, I don't think that there is a getting it versus not getting it. I mean, I think it's, like, most of David Lynch stuff where it's whatever you take away from it is your own interpretation and that's valid. I don't think that there's a, a true meaning, but I, I, this will come in at the end and we'll, I think we'll all save this for the absolute after we're done and just for a brief discussion about it. But I think it's kind of insane how universally the internet at least has just agreed on what this film is about. Like, and again, I'm reading these David Lynch interviews and there's one interview in particular where there is an an, interv- an interviewer is asking David Lynch, who famously doesn't give away what he thinks his movies are about. Th- he's kind of asking David Lynch uh, uh, things he thinks the movie is about, and David Lynch is kind of saying hot or cold to him. And huh. and and uh, and if you read anything or look up videos like uh, Lost Highway Explained, most people have the exact same interpretation of what this movie is about. 
and and in those interviews it is it, it kind of um parallels that as well so it, it's crazy that for an avant-garde experimental film it almost seems like there is a correct way to perceive this story <laughs> like yeah. like people have mostly agreed on what this film is about and what it represents and and we'll get more towards that towards the end but i i just wanted to bring that up as like very strange and and mulholland drive is the same way where a lot of people just are, are like I, this is kind of what it's about <laughs> like yeah i wonder how much of that like happened like right away and how much of it was like over time like people on the message boards and you know like crazy D- crazy david lynch people were just um looking into it and then kind of discovered this like meaning and and, and it kind of just got around the community yeah it made sense to everyone i, I um, just I, yeah, yeah i i did a lot of reading of like reddit threads and stuff to because i like to i like to like see other people's takes and yeah i saw it pretty much across the board like mm-hmm. the same thing like every reddit thread like there's like there's like probably four dozen reddit threads that are <laughs> yeah. just called uh, explain to me like i'm five what uh uh lost highway means and the top one is always like the same yeah the top comment is like the same theory it just seems like everyone agrees with but yeah so i mean i did feel like an idiot because i did not interpret it that way but after hearing it explained it did the way that most people interpret it actually makes more sense than what i thought but <laughs> yeah um so you're not an idiot, Eric. No, I mean, of course not. We're all idiots. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's about the moon landing. It's about David yeah. Lynch faking the moon landing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so Fred and Renee attend a party being thrown by her friend Andy. Uh, the mystery man Fred dreamed about approaches Fred, claiming to have met him before. The man uh, then says he is at Fred's house at the at that very moment and answers the house phone when fred calls him yeah he hands him his own cell he hands him a cell phone and fred calls his own house and he answers this scene gets me every time it's (laughs) it's scary (laughs) it is a very intense performance by robert blake who's the actor who's like a real Mm -hmm. cult actor Mm -hmm. like again talking about last film roles this is his last film role this is his last film role yeah it's also and Richard he, Pryor's last film. Yeah, role too. it's also Richard Pryor's and Jack Nance's. Yeah, uh, and yeah, like he was like he was like a kid in the Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and then like in the seventies, he became like a famous, a little bit of a famous cult actor for being in this film, Electric Glide in Blue, which is a very oh. like na- naturalistic art film about like a highway patrolman. And then this is like him being a maniac, so it's like really insane that this is like his final role. But it was really unsettling and effective. And he had like he uh, sh- has like shaved eyebrows, so you can't tell his expression, which is a trick he did with like the cowboy in uh, Mulholland Drive as well. Mm. They, hmm. Wow. Um. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys know this about Robert Blake, but his uh, his wife was. Uh, I don't know much. I meant to like do more research about this, but basically uh, in 2002, Robert Blake was charged with the murder of his wife, his second wife, uh, murder, solicitation of murder, conspiracy and speckle special circumstance of lying in wait, whatever that means. Um, uh, waiting for her to like come home or something. Yeah. In, 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 in Oh five, a jury found him not guilty of the crimes, but, uh, I don't know, kind of interesting that he does Whoa. this movie and then um, 
charged with <laughs> the murder, Oof, murder of his wife. That's dark. Uh, okay, so Fred learns from Andy that the man is a friend of DeClarant's. Uh, terrified, Fred leaves the party with Renee. Uh, the next morning, another tape arrives, and Fred watches it alone. To his horror, it shows him hovering over Renee's dismembered body. He is sentenced to death for her murder. Oh, my God. Yeah, that skips a lot. <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even even the sentencing is kind of like whiplash, where he's immediately being attacked by an officer. Yeah. And then, like, over audio of just him walking in the prison, we hear, you're sentenced to the electric chair, you're guilty. Yeah. Um, I, I was not satisfied with or believing that he killed his wife when at this point i was like this is insane something is afoot something weird is afoot um <laughs> yeah like that it's so hellishly terrifying the the i mean vhs tapes like old crappy vhs tape footage is maybe some of the scariest ways you could like like uh showcase something <laughs> like yeah it's yeah. so creepy uh, but yeah, then all of a sudden he's getting beat up and he's saying, please tell me I didn't kill her. Please tell me I didn't kill her. Guys, I, 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 full disclosure, I have this like really super mild case of OCD, but one of the ways that OCD manifests is like you have what's called like, uh, oh man, like uh, circular thoughts or like recurring thoughts over and over again, where you'll just get fixated on an idea. So like uh, one of those is like, oh, I'm going to run my car off the road is like a common one. But another one is like killing people. You think like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But then you like hallucinate or manifest like this, I, the images of it happening. And this to me tr- like was like very triggering of like, oh my God, like the worst thing would be to not want to kill someone and then out of body do the murder and then be like, not remember it. You know what I mean? Like, what a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. I think I think you and I have some, some something similar going on. Well, it's it's uh, super common. <laughs> That's why I bring it up is like people have these like thoughts all the time, so it's like nothing to be ashamed of and you're not you're not going to kill somebody. But it is like there is a this this deep-seated terror that Lynch is tapping into right here of like you know, uh you killing somebody you love on accident. Yeah. Michael, ever ever think about killing anyone? No, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. But just in case this comes up in a in evidence somewhere, no, I've never thought about. Killing <laughs> oh yes, that's smart. Yes, this yeah. is all a bit. By yeah. the way, oh yeah. ha 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 ha! I'm I'm in comedy. <laughs> yeah, we all we all are on video holding up air quotes as we were talking mm-hmm. for the last couple minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's weird that we record the video of these because we always <laughs> just. We we only let people hear the episodes. We never we never release the video. Um, yeah. One of my favorite shots is when uh, Bill Pullman is st- is like crouched down in prison in the like gray prison suit, and he's on this like I don't know like uh like stucco like background with like with like the concrete. I think he's yeah. out in like the prison yard or yes. whatever. Yes, and it's a, it's a wide shot, right? Yeah, very yeah. wide and he's kind of off on the on the right side. It's very like eraser head to me. Yeah. Very kind of reminds me of that like industrial eraser head vibe. But also like a Norman Rockwell painting or something, like where there's a mm. lot of negative space and, you know, a lot of big buildings negative space. I don't know. 
Um, so while on death row, uh, Fred is plagued by headaches and visions of the mystery man and a burning cabin in the desert. Um, so uh, w- one of the trivia things is the burning cabin, because it's not just burning, it's exploding in reverse. Yeah. And ah, okay. Th- there's a uh, story about that, um, which David Lynch, like, I've heard his master class, I've heard interviews by him, and there are, like, two stories he keeps going to whenever he wants to express how awesome it is to, like, work on film and come up with ideas on the spot. And one is the famous one about Frank being in uh, Twin Peaks, where it was a uh, art department guy who almost locked himself in the room, so he cast him as a villain in Twin Peaks, basically. Mm-hmm. This is the other story, which is he they built this cabin for the middle of the desert for a later scene. And then as they're done with it, they're breaking it down. And he hears like his producer say, like, OK, you can just you can blow it out, which was like film term or something. Basically, he said some sort of film term that inspired him the idea of it exploding. So he asked like an art department person or someone in like a grip or someone he asked them if, like, hey, do we actually have stuff that we could make this cabin explode with? And they said yes. So they set up the cabin to explode, but it's not, like, a normal, like, Hollywood blockbuster explosion where, like, all the pieces would fly everywhere. It's this weird rolling, like, slow explosion that only kind of, like, misshapens it and makes it on fire and billowing. So they filmed it exploding, and then for this, they played in reverse for it to be, like, this weird misshapen middle like cabin that like reverses into a one whole piece and it's like a really effective effectively edited and sound designed moment too but it came out of just being on set and not having a plan of what to do with this cabin after it's done that's awesome i love that um yeah i think i i think i think that's in uh room to dream i think they talk about it about that 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 anecdote i love that dude i gotta you just reminded me i gotta check out this david lynch master me too (laughs) i was thinking the same thing i was like oh fuck i i didn't even i didn't even realize he made a master class that's amazing yeah Uh, my girlfriend kelsey got it for me as a christmas gift last year and on the deck the only downside is, like, if you've watched everything he's done and read every interview, you might know a lot of it, but it's still a lot of fun to hear, and it was edited by someone who's clearly, like, a fan who did, like, all the set, uh, same designs of it. It's cool. Oh, man. Love it. Uh, so during a cell check, the prison guard finds the man in Fred's cell is now Pete Dayton. Um I guess we, we I, maybe it's worth noting that uh, before before this, Fred goes to uh, he's having these headaches and he gets he can't sleep and he gets uh, some pills from the the prison doctor. Yeah, and, and then the doctor basically says like these will make him sleep. Like yeah, like, I guess they, like probably like horse tranquilizers or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, they find uh, this man in Fred's cell. Uh, his his name is Pete Dayton. He's a young auto mechanic. Uh, although Pete is released into the care of his parents, he is followed by two detectives who are trying to find out more about him. Yeah, his dad, Gary Busey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not distracting at all. <laughs> Literally the most mundane role I've ever seen Gary Busey in. and it's Dude, he's so Lynch grounded. Role. He's like a good dad in this. No. <laughs> I know. I, at one point, like, yeah, it, like, he's quickly after, the son Pete is going out, and he's just like, ah, oh, that'll do you some good. And my girlfriend... <laughs> And Kelsey watching it goes, Aw, what a good dad. And I'm like, that you'll never get that reaction to any of her Gary Busey role. Yeah. 
the next day, Pete returns to work at the garage where uh, gangster Mr. Eddie ha- asks him to fix his car. Uh, Mr. Eddie takes Pete for a drive during which Pete witnesses Mr. Eddie beat down a tailgater. Ugh, I classic this scene. This looks like, I know some of this, these exteriors are in Griffith Park. I was wondering, I, this looks like it might might have been well, so, some uh, of those windy roads. Fred, at one point, mentions he lives near the observatory. So right. a, 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 another thing that I, another reason I think this makes a good double feature with Mulholland is because they're both Hollywood they both take place in Hollywood. They're like Los Angeles films, um, and, and and this is and this is uh, one example of that. I I also love that. Like I was thinking about this Mister Eddie scene a lot, and I'm like, why is this so familiar? It's not really that familiar, but this is in the age of Pulp Fiction, right? So like we needed to have. It was very popular to have a scene, a non sequitur scene that's just like a monologue that seems like unrelated to the rest of the story, a monologue coming from uh, a violent gangster who's like, uh, uh, you know, like uh, committing justice, violent justice on someone else. Like it it felt to me like a lot of like, I got like Jules vibes from it, from uh, Pulp Fiction, you know, him Mm. doing the, doing the Bible verse before he shoots somebody. Like that's kind of what this reminded me of. Like, or, um, or uh, the uh, what's his name, Mister Blonde? Do you know the ear cutting off scene or whatever? It's it's like uh, it just felt like you know popularized by a Tarantinoism or something. Uh, we should also uh, oh, I also want to rem- uh, remind you, Eric. Like I me- I mentioned this a couple episodes ago when we were doing Twin Peaks, but remember when I was talking about how J- James in the garage, like uh, working on the car for that woman. Like yeah. it reminded me of Lost Highway so much. Like this is why, because like basically okay. they're like very it. similar <laughs> like setups. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely, I, I could definitely see that. Um, let's see. The next day, Mister Eddie returns to the garage with his mistress Alice Wakefield and his Cadillac for Pete to repair. God damn, is this this is the moment with the Lou Reed song? This man, yeah. Moment? God damn, dude! It's it's. I could watch that on a loop for yeah. probably realistically four hours. Yeah, her <laughs> was this was this the scene you were gonna mention? No, it's not actually. But this oh, is a really shit. great. I know this is a really great soundtrack drop moment too, though. And actually, again, Kelsey, my girlfriend, was like, "Whoa, what is this on?" And I'm just like, "Wait a second, you'll get it." And it's yeah, Lou Reed comes on and sings this magic moment. It's a very interesting cover. I don't know if he did it like what he did it for. Mm. Do you guys know if he did it specifically for the soundtrack or not? I, I, it but, wasn't for this. I, I remember looking it up at some point, but okay, um, yeah. But I, I but I'd never heard it outside of this uh, film, and it's a really a interesting uh, fit. Yeah, it's it's to me, it's just such a clear like. Oh man, this is the fucking best. <laughs> like like uh yeah. it, it's such a it's such a you know what we love slow motion. We love a good song playing to I would I would say these even aren't like incredible visuals. Like I do love Patricia Arquette and I think she looks gorgeous in it, but I'm also like it's not like a Wes Anderson movie where the visuals are also stunning to go with it, but I there's just something about slow motion and a good song that just makes you fucking like oh, it makes you just you get so pumped for it as a film film liker, you know? Hell yeah. Um, so later, Alice returns to the garage alone and invites Pete out for dinner. 
when Pete and Alice begin an affair, she fears that Mr. Eddie suspects them and concocts a scheme to rob her friend Andy uh, and leave town. Mm. Um, wow. They're also yeah. being tailed by the detectives the entire time, who are just oh, yeah. like, uh, God gets more pussy than the toilet seat, or ugh, what a <laughs> job. Well, they have yeah. these weird one-off bit jokes that are just like, get it, we're taking things so literally, we're so dumb. I still think there was a conversation with David Lynch and a producer who was just like, David, you cannot name the detective Siskel and Ebert. I'm really sure <laughs> this was a, I'm very sure this was like an analog to like, fuck you credits you guys are just following me around and you don't know anything type of i thing. love that reading of it that yeah. makes so much more sense because i would i would have said beforehand you know without that which i like I, i'd say like they they are useless like they're not there's like no point to having them in the film at all uh other than you know detectives play like this sort of role and i guess law enforcement just plays a role in the film as a theme but like yeah, this, so this affair starts, and it starts really strangely, right? She just shows up to his auto mechanic place, and Jack Nance is like, boy, oy, oing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We also didn't mention Richard Pryor, who's in a wheelchair at this point. And yes. IRL, he's also in a, in, a, in a wheelchair. Yeah, I think this was his last. Was this his last this, yeah, we, yeah, we role said, as well? I yeah. looked it up. It was like his last physical role. I think he may have done a voice or something. But other than that, yeah. yeah. Um, I have a quick That's thing cool. about Richard Breyer being in this movie from the interviews book I've been reading with, about David Lynch. And he says, uh, at, w- at one point, the interviewer asks him, you know, like, why, you know, why are you making fun of Richard Pryor? Like, why are you choosing to put him in? And he's like, I'm not making fun of him. Why on earth would I make fun of him? Uh, he's an amazing guy. I loved his stand-up. I thought I loved that he would just talk about himself on stage. I always wanted to work with him. Uh, so what I did was I cast him in the role. I gave him a few lines. He did the lines fine. And then I said, here, here's something you could maybe talk on the phone about. And then I just let him go for nine minutes. <laughs> And that was wow. how his uh, his role went. Like he just gave him uh, something to kind of talk about, and then yeah, Richard Pryor just kind of improvised a phone call for nine nine minutes, and that was that was that. I just loved I just loved that he just wanted to work with people. I think that was probably if I had to guess, it's probably a similar story with Henry Rollins too. Like just like yeah, I think he's cool. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I just want to work with him, and, and you know. He doesn't give him like a huge part, maybe you know, but it's like it's you still get to be on set, you know. I, I kind of like that hangout vibe. It's a little distracting, you know, if you're trying to immerse yourself in the film when you see a bunch of cameos. That that can be a little distracting, but you know, maybe in '97 a Henry Rollins cameo didn't actually go that far, you know. Yeah, he's only the uh, prison guard, uh, yeah. which is like a couple scenes. I saw Heat. Uh, by Michael Mann and the yeah. new Beverly, and people were cracking up at Henry Rollins in that film because he's in it a good amount as this like <laughs> silent, all black wearing uh, like bodyguard who ends up being his ass kit. So it's like yeah. kind of like very like it, that feels like that's making fun of Henry Rollins as opposed to this or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Richard Pryor's a weird one though because he was a f- he was a film star at that point. Yeah, so. Um, Alice also reveals to Pete that Mr. Eddie is actually an amateur porn producer named Dick Laurent. Uh, Pete gets a phone call from Mr. Eddie and the mystery man 
which frightens Pete so much that he decides to uh, go along with Alice's plan. Uh, Pete ambushes Andy and accidentally kills him before he notices a photograph showing Alice and Renee together. Later, when the police are at the house investigating Andy's death, Alice is inexplicably missing from the photo. Yeah, we should also um, mention the really troubling scene that I had a tough time with, which is the uh, Patricia Arquette gun to the head scene. Yeah, strip. You remember that, Eric? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah that that doesn't get mentioned in this Wikipedia article at all. (laughs) But it's uh it's it was to me a scene that I was like, oh man, this is not a this is aging pretty poorly. But then like something again reading this book and hearing his take on on this scene it it kind of like like every character is pretty sexually like screwed up if that makes sense like everyone has like weird fetishes it's not just like the women it's not just the men it's kind of across the board everyone is like a bizarre fetishist in this film anyway then it's also a, a, a theme that he deals with a lot which is like uh, you know the juxtaposition between the 1950s suburban Norman Rockwall painting, like the way that we viewed the world versus the way that we were behind closed doors, sort of idea that like, oh, she's being held at gunpoint to strip, but she actually likes it is a particular fetish that this person has. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about that scene? I mean, it's a very gripping scene. It's sh- like composed really well, and that's also I think the song. Yeah, it's "I Put a Spawn You" by Marilyn Manson. Yes, it's really intense yeah. when that's happening, and the way it ends is with this really effective crosscut where mm-hmm. she's reaching, like she's eventually coerced to be in her underwear in front, of, kneeling in front of Mister Eddie. It's basically not going to go anywhere good, and she reaches her hand across to Mister Eddie, and that crosscuts to her reaching her hand across to Pete as yeah. it's like, uh, that's mm. the final out of the story. And it's like, a, while this song is still going on for a little bit and then it, this song cuts out like while it's still on Pete, it's a really effective like end to that flashback that really jars jars you. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, like I think it's a really effective moment of, also in this moment, like things change up, but at this moment she's really selling herself as a victim. Mm-hmm. And this is like a really, yeah, like in sort of like, no one's denying it now. Like we get that Mr. Eddie is like more than just like this whimsical tailgating beater upper guy. He's a <laughs> villain. Yeah. Like, he's an actual psycho. Yeah. Yes. Um, also buried in, in like that, that passage you read, Eric, there's like a, you know, we see the mystery man is on the phone call and then we see Andy who Alice is basically sleeping with in order to get money. And uh, that, that is the first time we bleed the two worlds together. Like Andy has already showed up in Fred's world. So has the, the mystery man. Mm. So it's like, yeah, there's also a part where he's working in the uh, garage and he hears the saxophone song that was played at the very beginning and gets a headache and Jack, he shuts it off and he gives Jack Nance this really great moment of just being like, Hey, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just like linger on Jack Nance being like, I like that. And it was yeah. like this really, I think, again, that's probably the final Jack Nance moment, apparently. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, let's see here. Oh, and that death. We got to mention Andy's death too. Sorry. Oh, last yes. thing. Last yeah. thing. Yeah. It's probably one of the most say. gruesome things that has happened in the film, but it is like, uh, he, at first he just gets hit in the head and you think he's maybe incapacitated, but then he j- springs to life. He charges at Pete. Pete kind of does a bear. He kind of falls over backwards and then kind of kicks him. Does that like spinning kick move where you like, you just make someone basically somersault and the guy somersaults himself into a glass or stone table where his head perfectly hits the corner of it in a way that slices his head almost in half. Yeah. So he's just, he's like glued to the table. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the more it's, disturbing it's David Lynch deaths, I think. Uh, 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 Hearn, what do you what do you what do you say? I agree. It's yeah, very insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, Pete and Alice arrive in an empty cabin in the desert and start having sex outside in the sand. <laughs> I got. I mean, anyone who's ever you know uh, done anything like that on on a beach or in a desert. You don't do that. That's not like it's, it's not pleasant. Yeah. Uh, it's not as uh, you know b- as a beautiful experience as is depicted in this film when you're on. And uh, it's very beautiful. And this is actually this is actually the uh, needle drop I was talking about. The mm-hmm. sound use here is really intense and amazing. It kind of was faded in a little bit here and there in Lost Highway, like when he's seen the cabin in his dream for the first time. We hear it a little bit, and the sound is uh, by this mortal coil. A uh, song to the siren, which is a cover of a Tim Buckley song. Mm-hmm. It oh, was, wow. but it's very famous for uh, David Lynch because it was the song he wanted to use in Blue Velvet, but couldn't get the oh. he couldn't afford. He couldn't afford because it was too pricey by then, and so instead, that's what made him write lyrics. And then Julie Cruz and Angelo Battalamente made the song "Mysteries of Love" based on it, which is very much going for this type of vibe. And yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just I just pulled it up because I wanted to remember. It does sound a lot like that that Julie Cruz, uh, the Julie Cruz one. Yeah, and I think thematically and just tonally, this works so much better for Lost Highway and for this scene especially because yeah. it's all a song all about seduction, all about being seduced by something you know that is going to send you to shipwreck. It's a uh, very longingly song and a very like sad song. I think mm. playing that over just uh, the characters, Jeffrey and uh, just dancing in Blue Velvet, wouldn't have been as effective. Here, as like the set scene of the film that is like the most beautifully expressed, the t- closest to what sort of any male character in this film is desiring, is really effective and powerful. Yeah, it's amazing. I I do like this scene second to this to the Lou Reed needle drop but i i like it it's a very close second for me where it's just so effective and cool um i thought you were gonna say i thought your favorite needle drop i think this is mine is when uh he opens the door in the house <laughs> i can't even remember what he sees but it, it ramstein oh just yeah, starts yeah. Blasting. yeah yeah <laughs> but, but that is cool too though that like i, I think ramstein is a bit of a joke but I, I do I do think that this is like Ramstein is used very effectively in this film, especially coming up here in a second. But I think oh, yeah. I think like uh, yeah, the soundtrack is all over the place. Like tonally, yeah. I think the score the soundtrack is like crazy. Great. 
we didn't even touch upon the David Bowie song that opens the film, which oh, is yeah. really awesome. Yeah, over, oh, yeah. over the last highway itself, and it gets used really well at the finale credits too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and also I do want to echo Eric's thought here that like as as beautifully as the sex scene in the sand is filmed, I'm like no. <laughs> the whole time i'm just like i'm just like no way no way not good yeah yeah uh so uh, yeah alice gets up goes into the cabin uh, after pete she Tran- says after she says you'll never have me exactly yeah. uh pete transforms back into fred upon uh searching the cabin he meets the mystery man who begins filming and chasing fred with a video camera this is i mean this is one of my favorite shots too is is, yeah. is uh him in the with the video camera uh, I think you know it. it, it the just that that specific like style of '90s handheld video camera. Oh, <laughs> with that so man's cool! Face is a very very good sight. Also, um, the line, um, "Her name's not Alice; it's Renee." What the fuck is your name? Like like this, the intensity yeah. of his performance. Like we've only seen him as being kind of a calm, cool, collected. He kind of reminds me of the devil. You know how like the devil's portrayed in a lot of media, where it's like. You know, yeah. he's too cool to be emotional. But in this scene, he gets angry with him a little, and it's like, uh-oh, I don't want to see this guy too mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Fred escapes and drives to the Lost Highway Hotel where he finds Mr. Eddie and Renee having sex. Mm-hmm. The, the, you mean uh, the metaphor hotel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, after Renee leaves, Fred kidnaps Mr. Eddie and slits his throat. Uh, the mystery man shoots Mr. Eddie dead and then whispers something to Fred before he disappears. Fred drives to his old house, buzzes the intercom, and says Dick Laurent is dead. Uh, when the two detectives drive up to the house, Fred runs back to his car and drives off with the detectives in pursuit. Uh, Fred suddenly begins convulsing and screaming as the car speeds down the, high- the uh, darkened highway. On a dark desert highway. <laughs> Yeah, as life is a highway place. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's the, our film, boys. The end. Wow, it it went by so much, so fast, so too quickly. Uh, I could talk yeah. about this film for forever. I I just, it's it's so crazy how many parts to the movie there is. I mean, there's a whole character we didn't even get to talk about in this synopsis, which is Pete's other girlfriend. Remember her? Yeah. Yeah. She's uh Natalie Wood's daughter. Isn't that crazy? Huh. Yeah. He uh it's in again, I'm gonna keep referencing this interview's book until I'm dead, apparently, but David Lynch tells this really charming story about how he cast her. He said that uh, you know, he he describes meeting her back in the seventies. He said he was at a at a, a AFI Film Institute award thing ceremony or whatever and Natalie Wood came down walking down the stairs and she was pregnant at the time and he says that was the first time I met Natasha and then later I she was at one of my like one of his like um, uh, gallery showings of his photographs and and he met her again there and he just really liked her a lot and then cast her in this film I mean it's just like what an old Hollywood story, you know? Natalie Wood. Yikes. I, I think her documentary just came out, right, Hearn? Is that is that right? Yeah, I think someone just came out about her. Uh, yeah, no, that's in one of... Because with so many, like, 
insane LA like casting choices that are like very in sort of industry. That one's up there. Yeah, I know that though. Yeah, we didn't even mention also Marilyn Manson and Ziggy are yeah. in the uh, porno scenes, which is kind which, of like a. What would you describe that, Eric? Is it like a? It's not a flat. It's a flashback, right, to Mr. Eddie and Renee at like a snuff I, film showing. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because like somebody gets killed in the. Footage. I think Manson gets killed. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's literally him, and yeah. yeah I think that was probably like the last thing Mr. Eddie sees before he dies is uh, him playing on a little TV, mm-hmm. the uh, that footage, which yeah, it's a uh, also very in- like we didn't even cover those parts of it, just like the intense parts where they are making graphic porn. Mm-hmm. So, fellas, let's talk <laughs> theories. Uh, Michael, I want to. I want to hear. I want to hear you. What What you got first? What's your uh, What's your interpretation of this film? What's going on? What are we looking at? I mean, it's probably close to what a lot of people are expressing. I kind of like, especially even now, I kind of don't try to figure out the plot, quote unquote, like in terms of like this is how things actually happen. But just in terms of like thematically, it's all about sort of like being defe- a defeated man wanting something you can't have wanting someone you can't have and sort of like feeling like, what if I was someone else? What if I could change my whole life? Would I be able to obtain her then? And it's still not happening out. And it's sort of the masculine angst of dealing with that. Um, it does that very literally, obviously, but I also just think from a personal point of David Lynch and kind of like, especially following on you guys when I was wanting to rewatch this, this is like after he's like, being like critically bombed for Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. This is after Twin Peaks Season 2 goes the way it does. This is after a lot of like artistic defeat feeling, Mm -hmm. which was different from even how Dune went down. And I think there's a little bit of meta-ness of like trying to reinvent yourself almost artistically to it. And I like it's expressed like as like a lot of different things, but I think just that idea of like Come, overcoming what you've uh, like lost and lo- overcoming like having to rebuild yourself I think it's very intentful here I love that I love your interpretations of like uh, sort of like where Lynch is at in his career and sort of like the Siskel and Ebert uh, 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 metaphor with the detectives and because and, yeah he was in like a very uh, a very sort of strange period in his career at this point I guess when he um, I think maybe this is after Lost Highway a little bit, but there was a period where he was like trying to get a lot of weird stuff going on his website. Like he started fucking around with like internet videos, yeah. Uh, and, and he was kind of like, yeah, his his he was very you know kind of deeply into Twin Peaks, and then people got mad at Twin Peaks, and then he made this beautiful movie about Twin Peaks to try to make people. Well, I guess probably not to try to make people not mad at him, but just to sort of, you know, tie a little bow on it in his own way. And people hated that. And yeah, I could totally see that. I, I really like that, that interpretation. It's, Jeremy, it, what's your, uh, what's your take on this movie? I, I, I kind of want to, you know, echo on to what Hearn said. Um, and, and I just want to add the, the quick bit about Isabella Rossellini, who, you know, personally for Lynch, this, he's going through a bit of a breakup at the time, too. He's, like, kind of ending things. A lot of people think that this might be his sign-off to that relationship or his, like, uh, film. You know, he makes sort of in, in uh, you know, uh, in response to that, 
And I, I think, you know, Patricia Arquette being a stand-in character for Isabella Rossellini makes a lot of sense <laughs> to me um, because she does seem like the thing that he can't, he can't really have, you know, he, he'll never really have. I, I Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's great. I mean, the film definitely left me with a feeling of like, you know, what it feels like to be cheated on, what it feels like to realize that your partner has a darker past than you might have thought, you know, um, and of course, those are all like uh, personal emotions I felt while watching it. But, um, but yeah, as far as like you know, my inter- my initial interpretation, which I want, I do want to talk after we're all done. I do want to talk about what everyone pretty much agrees the film is about, plot wise, or like what's actually happening in like the literal world of Lost Highway. Uh, I, my initial ter- interpretation was just like, yeah, that that mystery man is sort of like evil incarnate, and um, you know, this is Bill Pullman sort of uh, living out some sort of dream or life of this young younger man who's maybe more virile, who's more you know, uh, you know, somebody that Patricia Arquette wants, and then. Um, you know, like uh, the Robert Loja character being like the the world trying to take that, you know, a, a, away from you or whatever. Um, I I do not love the Dick Laurent is dead stuff. I I I get that it ties it to the beginning, but I don't think that that's important at all. I don't think it's important to make this some sort of spiral or cycle or something or loop. Uh, it it, it kind of just muddies the the vibe I got. It, it felt kind of cheap, honestly, cheaper than Lynch. You know, I thought it kind of seemed like a cheap trick to just like, oh, he sang it to himself in the beginning. I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> like, but what does it actually mean? Like, why would you be warning yourself? Or are you warning yourself of what's going to happen? Is that because it doesn't work? He ends up just doing it again anyway. Um. But yeah. It's definitely not even the initial thing that starts everything. The initial thing that starts everything is they're getting tapes. Right. Yeah, so, ex- exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't, um, it didn't really, you know, it didn't really, that it wasn't as effective for me as maybe it was in 97 when people were just seeing this. But I also, I, I love, I, again, I like Hearn's interpretation of just being where, you know, he's at in his career and kind of being, you know, like he, he's such an interesting director, right? Cause it's like, he's not an overly successful director. Like it's almost like every few projects he fails on his face. Like, yes. Wild at heart whims, uh, wins the Palm, uh, Palm Dior. Is that what it's called? Hearn? The Palm Dior, the Palm Dior. Yeah. Wild at heart wins the Palm Dior after he recuts it after hundreds of people walk out because <laughs> there's a torture scene that goes on too long. But then Fire Walk With Me is critically and commercially panned. You know, so this is like kind of after that. Dune's a failure, but Blue Velvet's good. You know, it's a, it's like he's sort of like one for... Two for one with actual successes, artistic achievements. And, um, you know, this, this to me just feels like... Uh, like the inevitable heightening of that. I also think that his dark leather bound, you know, uh, uh, wallet chain, hot topic, uh, (laughs) version of himself is, is so much fun 
that it's hard. I do like Mulholland Drive better, and I like that version of Lynch better than this. But I than this or the Wild at Heart Lynch. But I do, I do still think this is so much fun. Like him just living in this dark, sort of heavy metal gothic world of uh, you know '90s pastiche sort of like Romsteinisms or whatever. Like it's <laughs> it's really it's really crazy. But Erica, what what about you? What are we watching yeah. here? <laughs> well, okay, so I'm gonna say what I. What, this is probably uh, pretty close to what what you're talking about, which is sort of like the general uh, consensus of what's going on in the movie. Maybe my version's a little bit different. I don't know, but uh, yeah. So essentially, this is what. It, this, so this is uh, Lost Highway. The way I see it is in the beginning, we're seeing we are already at the point where this guy wants to kill his wife, um, and he's already thinking about it. And uh, the mystery man sort of represents uh, reality. Uh, this is just my interpretation. The, uh, no, I love the it. videotapes are, are are Fred. Fred Fred does the videotapes. Uh, the reason I think that is, I I actually do think that the end, um, him saying Dick Laurent is dead into the intercom, kind of implies that he was also doing the videotapes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. The mystery man is is, is symbolizes reality. Um, basically, this is a guy that's like. So after he goes to prison uh, and he gets the you know sleeping pills or whatever, he's basically concocting like he's concocting the story, basically trying to justify uh, his own like murdering of his wife and like making it right in his own mind through like this. You know, he makes himself this like, uh, uh, I guess like good-looking mechanic guy that like twenty-four-year-old women, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and like women are, yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. Essentially, we are seeing sort of like reality coming coming back to haunt him, like no matter how how hard he tries, and ultimately, in the end, there when we're seeing him like screaming and convulsing. Um, he is being uh, uh, electrocuted. That's right. when he's in like the electric chair. Right. Um, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah, uh, I think I think that's that is yeah. in part and parcel for everything that I've read about, and it, almost out of the mouth of David Lynch himself, who uh, didn't say, did not say any of these things, but definitely verified and then didn't verify certain theories that an interviewer had in these in this book. I, I think that like. The one thing I would add into there is like the thing that he's seeing with Pete is a fantasy and reality is inc- is so prevalent and so big and so real that it's encroaching on the fantasy to the point where it ends up shattering it in the scene where they have sex out in the desert. Like he's trying to have this fantasy, you know, a sleeping pill induced fantasy, mind you, in prison and you know, she says, you know, you could never have me after making him kill somebody. And after like, you know, basically like admitting, uh, sleeping with a bunch of people, but admitting to the, uh, being a bit of a, you know, a bit of a fetishist herself. And, uh, that's when he pops back up as himself again in his own fantasy. Like he can't even mm. maintain the fantasy, the illusion of himself being a kid anymore. Uh, and yeah, the man, the mystery man ends up being, uh, you know, you said reality. I like that. I I like that it's just, yeah, his his ill will or whatever, you know, um, 
come to life. I I think that uh, it's a bummer too because my initial interpretation was kind of that he was innocent or something and like that it was evil or Robert Loja or a conspiratorial thing between Patricia Arquette and Robert Loja that was happening to him. And he found out and then punished Robert Loja and then ended up on the run from the police unjustly. (laughs) But, but no, I think, I think the more accurate interpretation is probably this, this one where he's like, he is the villain in his own story kind of a thing. Um, and yeah. I and I think that it's it's this is a cleaner interpretation than a lot of the Mulholland Drive interpretations, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks. Where you know, there's so many scenes in Mulholland Drive that ha- truly do have nothing to do with the overall plot, right? Like, there's not yeah. really much else in this film. You know, we don't get a lot of like Gary Busey and the wife just by themselves hanging out, like a scene with them or something. You know, it's like pretty down the barrel. We're following Bill Pullman or we're following Pete. Um, and you could argue say we're following the same person the whole time. So, well, fellas, Michael, it's, it's great to have you on. You're, you're, yeah. uh, you know, there's certain people that uh, y- you like to talk movies with, and you're one of them, my friend. Uh, oh, thanks. Same to you, you guys. Uh, so, so uh, you mentioned, uh, was it uh, Away with Words? Is that what you what you said your your new uh, short film is? Yeah, the latest short film, uh, Away with Words. You can watch all my short films on michaelchern.com, and you can follow me at Twitter and Instagram at michaelchern. And yeah, my latest is that, but I have a couple other short films I'd, I've done out in L.A. Um, none of them are Lynchian, I would say. Uh, but, <laughs> Great. <laughs> but David Lynch is like my favorite director and the one who really got me into filmmaking as an idea of something to do. So I'm was happy to be on uh, an episode of this. Love it. And, uh, yes. And you're, you're also a member of the, uh, the, co- the, uh, the video games, a comedy show, uh, family. sounds like, um, I, yeah, I'm, you, I'm too tied to that, but yes, I am. You know, I'm, I, Michael, I just started dabbling in video games, so I'm not, uh, 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 I'm, I, you know, I have to, it's, it's on my, it's on my list of, of podcasts. I have to, I have to start listening to, if you were going to, if you were going to tell either Jeremy or Michael answer this question for me, if you were going to tell someone who just literally started playing video games and is 31 (laughs) to listen to an episode of your podcast, and they have a Nintendo Switch. What 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 episode would you recommend? Ooh. Hmm. I would I mean, say the last one. I don't know. I mean, the last one right. has <laughs> yeah, the last one has both me and Hearn on it, and it we talk uh, about the top ten two D platformers. So it's just like top ten Mario like games. Uh, I don't know, Hearn. What would you Love say? <laughs> no, I like that one because it has like recommendations basically in it. Um, the space sauces are all fun too because it's us fighting over the best games of each system. But that's very retro heavy. Mm-hmm. If the attitude is I'm into I die switch and I want to see what's on it now, then yeah, uh, top ten two D platformers was our last one. Yeah. All right, uh, Jeremy. Anything you want to plug before we sign off here? No, I mean we already plugged my other show, which is great. And I would <laughs> just say, you know, as uh. Yeah, the Patreon again. You know, we're doing some fun stuff on there. Always doing fun stuff on there. Um, and yeah, you know. Uh, uh, oh, next week we'll be covering Barry Lyndon, right? 
Yes, I got oh, man. Jeremy. I got excited, and I, 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 I gotta say, I gotta admit, I already watched. Barry I know. Lyndon I saw you. Today. I saw that you watched it on Twitter. I was, I was psyched for you. It's, it's, it is a sleeper. One of my favorite Kubrick movies. So I can't wait to talk about it. It's also, I think, maybe yeah. the least talked about Kubrick film. So it's gonna be a good episode. I will tease this. Loved it, my dude. <laughs> Big fan of Barry Lyndon. I love that. Yeah, what a tease. I had never seen it before. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know that for like very good movie that uh, people say is good. Mm-hmm. I thought it was good. Oh, <laughs> tight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So stay tuned for that, and then after that, we'll be uh, doing the Straight Story, which is a film that I have not seen all of. I haven't seen the full, the whole movie before, so that'll be uh, exciting. Uh, and uh, let's see here. I think that's all the all the stuff we got to get out of the way. So Norma. I'll see you in my dreams. Ooh, hoo, 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 hoo.